I'd like for you to open your Bible to the book of Psalms, Psalms 36. Psalms 36, verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes, obviously referring to what he has heard from the wicked. This is his perception of what he has heard from wicked people. Wicked, we said the other day, means you've turned away from God. Verse 2, For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. He defends himself. He justifies himself. He makes himself out to be right. Obviously, there is a problem here with a man where he once was and where he now is, and he justifies why he is not where you think he ought to be. I'll show you what I'm talking about in a moment. Verse 3, the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. And then these words, he hath left off to be wise and to do good. Now I want to title my message this morning, The Danger of Leaving Off. The Danger of Leaving Off. It's based on left off. We've had this conversation with other people in our lives since we came to the Lord, all of us. At one time or another, you've had conversations with people you know about what happened to so-and-so. Why did they, when did they start giving up like it? Well, why did they quit? Well, why did they walk away? I wonder why they're no longer interested. I've had that conversation more than any other conversation that I can think of in my life. I've seen lots, like you have, I've seen lots of people come to the Lord. Make good decisions. Make wise decisions. Begin to make definite arrangements in their life to do right and give up things that they are now aware of were not right and make some adjustments and get involved in the church. Get involved in having fellowship with each other and trying to do well and being conscious of doing right and, and recognizing old flaws and in no longer can tolerate. I've seen this my whole life, my Christian life. And I've seen so many of them eventually, at some point, turn back, go away, leave. And when you talk to them, so many of them, they want to justify them. Well, after all, you know, I mean, well, you're all not the only them. And they, all of them have a way of justifying their life. And the Bible said they left off to be wise, which means they once were. Let me read you another Translation of what left off is or how it's translated. It says in the New King James Version, it said, He has ceased to be wise and do good. It was a decision somebody made. It always is. You make a decision. He has ceased. I choose to cease to do good. The modern King James Bible said, He has stopped acting wise. And doing good. Now, behind all of this ceasing to go forward, ceasing to continue on, is what I would call the rebel nature. Rebel nature. It is a rebellion to some degree, high or low, rebellion against God and His way and His terms for life. See, Christianity, as I've said before, is living on. Christ's terms. This is the way, walk ye in it. 
Now, we must choose to do that. It's a choice we have to make. It's a life we must be willing to live having made the choice. And the revelation of the life to live isn't convenient and it isn't easy. But it's the only way to life. It's a big deal. And your life is full of opposition to God. The more God reveals things about yourself, the more you realize how opposed you were to God. And how you justify your opposition. Well, I don't believe you have to do it. Well, not everybody can do that. And we have all these nifty ways of justifying our sinfulness or our iniquity, our hatefulness towards God. And yet God continues to show you his way in spite of whether you like it or not. He continues to show it to you. Now, at some point, your rebellion or the nature of a rebel rises up and it says, I don't think I want to go this way anymore. I think this is too hard. I think this is too narrow. I'm going to go talk to some other people about it who don't agree with this way either. And they're going to tell me why I'm justified in not going on this way. After all, you know, we go to church every week. We don't have to do that, and we don't see it that way, and we're all right. Anything to justify my rebellion. See, it's because of rebellion that I leave off. One commentator said this. He said, the dislike of being governed by another, which would be God, is the governing principle of their life. I don't like anybody to tell me how I should live. I don't like anybody to tell me what I should do, whether it's a preacher or somebody's interpretation of what God said. I just don't like to go to church and somebody tell me how to live my life. That's a rebel. It's like the Psalms 12 in verse 14. The psalmist said, our tongues are our own, and who can rule over us? That's a rebel. And at some point, if that rebellious aspect of everybody's life isn't dealt with and isn't confronted, it will eventually cause you to stop where you're going and draw back, sometimes draw back just enough to remain religious, but without convictions. You'll have a form of godliness, but you will deny its power because the power you're seeking in life is your own. I just don't see it that way, therefore I'm not going to live that way. Well, that's your opinion because I'm not going to be governed by anybody, which is why I'm a rebel because I don't want to be governed by anybody. The governing principle of my life is doing it my way. These are called pastor's nightmares. <laughs> See, I didn't laugh. You did. I've been here many years, 32 years. I've seen this many, many times. They come and they go. You can't really deal with them because they don't want to be dealt with. And if you tell them what their problem is, they go into an opposition mode, and then it becomes a debate and an argument. Sometimes you just have to leave it alone. You pray about it. You turn them over to God. But when a sinner comes to the Lord, when somebody does come to the Lord, made a confession of faith, maybe repented and went through all the things that we want to see when somebody comes to the Lord... When somebody comes to the Lord, we rejoice. Praise God. 
I do. I rejoice when my grandson and all my other grandsons and granddaughters, all of them and great-granddaughters eventually, and great-great-granddaughters and great-great-grandsons. How would I be? I rejoice when anybody gets saved. Probably more when my family does than when your family does naturally. You've got more invested and involved than I do. I'm glad that, that there's been a change in their life. They have repented. They have asked God to save them. They've turned around. They have a chance now to live eternally. They have a chance. It has started. This is the beginning of a journey that leads to the throne of God. They've been forgiven. They're straightened out. There have been tears of sorrow. They're not hiding their sins anymore. They let it out. I am and I shouldn't have. I've done this and, and so forth. And we rejoice. Luke 15 said the angels rejoice also. However, an angel rejoices. If they rejoice in heaven over one sinner that turns from his sins, we should too. We shouldn't be so negative and think, well, yeah, they turned around, but I don't know if they'll stay around or not. Because I found myself doing it because I've seen it start well and not finish with so many, so many. But a sinner has turned from his sins. He's turned to Christ. He's been forgiven. He has the power of God now to walk with him. His life has so many new possibilities and potentials. All things are made new. So many new things can happen. So many good things can happen now. If he is durable, if he'll stay with it, and if he'll keep his hands on that plow, so much can happen. And then we see them keep coming to church. We watch them grow. We watch them try. We see their struggles, but we see them in their struggles get fellowship and encouragement, and they continue on, and they stay put. We've seen that. And that's why we rejoice. That's a good thing. When we talk about them, we talk about, oh, he's doing good. She's doing good. I know they've been through some things, but, boy, they're hanging in there. They're holding on. They're talking Jesus. We all like that. We like that. That's us. That's what our message is. It's about God, his power, and his worth, and what he's doing. We have to rejoice over that. There's nothing in life that is greater than that. We're going to heaven while we walk through a turbulent world. We are going to heaven, and God will help us get there. But you start the journey somewhere. And then you go on and you got friends to pray with you and stand with you. And boy, it's so sad. It has been sad for me. I don't walk around in sadness. Again, just because somebody turned away from the Lord doesn't mean it's over. I mean, they can say, I quit. I'm never coming back. Well, it ain't over yet. It ain't over till you stop breathing. We're just going to pray and believe the Lord for the best. I don't know what God knows. All I know is what I know. So I pray with what I know, and i that's all I got. I'm going to believe you're coming back. If there's a problem in your life, God will have to show it to you. But I'm just going to believe you're coming back. I'm going to believe you get straightened out. I'm going to believe you work your way through this. That conversation we had on the phone about I just don't think. I just believe there's something bigger than your willingness to give up. So we're going to stay with it. We're going to hang in there and walk this thing out and get the best that we can out of this. But, boy, when, it, when you start well, when you put your hand, it seems, to the plow and you're digging in and you're holding on. And then 
one day you're gone. You just quit. Or you leave for something less than I believe what God has given you. I have this conversation a lot. What makes you lose your appetite for the Lord and his word? When did you realize that what God wants you to do was just too much? Who told you it was too much? Who told you that you cannot do that? Who told you that that is legalistic and dogmatic? Who told you that? Or was it something still lying down in there on the inside That little something that you give yourself freedom to sin, even though you're a Christian, you allow yourself to do things you know you shouldn't do, but you don't deal with it. It's just a little thing, but you don't deal with that little rebel. Well, after all, that justifying little rebel nature that wants to stay in your life, make yourself to be all right like they did in Psalm 36, 1 and 2. Maybe that's what's in there, and you don't deal with it, and one day it just starts coming to the surface. See, a person doesn't leave off all of a sudden. Usually it's a gradual thing. None of you take offense at this about the front row. But you start on the front row because you want to be up where the action is, if this is action. And then things come in your life, you don't know how to deal with it or you don't deal with it, and you move back. And you want to be less and less conspicuous as the overcoming dynamic Christian. And so you be kind of take your place in the blase, mediocre, you know. And just what you're doing probably is begin to just drift away. You were a praising, exuberant soul. And now you're a static soul. You're just sort of existing. Because something is happening. Something has happened and you're leaving off you're backing off that word means to forsake or to leave or to let alone you're beginning to back away from those early convictions and where you once were you're not now now i notice it others notice it because we begin to say he's kind of she's kind of powered down haven't they they kind of I don't know, there used to be a little more whatever, but I don't know, maybe they're just growing, and maybe it's maturity. And we see things happening, and then we begin to realize that you're about to leave, you're about to quit. I could tell you stories that I know about here, but then you'd be trying to figure out who I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to make examples of other people. People say, well, why do you talk about it? Because there are examples I can use to show you this is what we were warned about that would happen. It happened to them. It can happen to any of us. I'm not against everybody. But people make bad decisions. We warn other people, don't make decisions like that. That's bad. Look what happened to them. Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the convictions they once had? You'd soon you get liberal with what you're allowed to do. What happened to all those early day decisions that made you a, a wise soul? You're not very wise now. That wasn't a very smart thing to do. That wasn't a very good decision to make. That's not a very wise direction you're pouring your life in now. What happened? Go to the very end of John 6. John chapter 6 and verse 66. 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Ugh. Well, let me get verse 65. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now, they were disciples. They were followers. They did follow him around. They did talk about him. They did honor him. They probably spoke about him in high terms to other people. Oh, boy, this guy, you need to come. And they were followers. Until one day he addressed, like in Luke 14, when the crowds were following him in, he said, except you hate your mother, follow your own, and your own life also. And here he said, eat his flesh and drink his blood, living his life on his terms. He said many of his disciples went back, left off our text from following him, and they followed him no more. I say, how could they do that? How in the world could somebody give up that easy? Let me tell you what, in Vincent's word studies, that's a, it's a good resource in study, Dr. Vincent. It breaks down every verse in the New Testament and gives you special insight into certain words or the meaning of a sentence or, the, or a verse. He said this, the Greek expresses more than the English. That is, the word went back in John 6. The Greek expresses more than the English. They went away from Christ literally to the things behind, to what they had left in order to follow the Lord. The things they once gave up, we can no longer live that way. Now that I'm a new creature in Christ, I cannot do that anymore. And the Bible says here that they left off in order to go back. So that really nothing ever changed except they had a moment in their life when they were religious. And they looked good being religious. And they were very actively religious. But deep down inside, there was no reality of divine intention. That is, I'm going to stay with this all the way to heaven. Because all it took was one sermon, one statement in a sermon, one sentence in a sermon, and they gave it up. They turned back. They said his disciples went back and followed him no more. Here's what another version said. Let me give you three translations of that phrase, that part of that sentence. One says, and would no longer go with him. That's a decision. Another translation says, they drew back and no longer accompanied with him. Fellowshiped. Another translation says, and no longer associated with him. That's what that word went back, how it's translated. They didn't want any more of this. It was just taking up too much of their time, getting them in too much trouble with their friends. It was beginning to be too hard. They were getting to be singled out for persecution or adversity. I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to suffer all my life because I'm a Christian. Now, see, if you say that and that's in your heart, even though what he said that you got to do is going to get you persecuted, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You can't get around it. It's his way or no way. 
You can't modify his way. You can't change it. You can't substitute something for his way and in order to make your way better. It is all the way his way or it's nothing. Well, that's too hard. No, it's not too hard. There is a way that seems right to man, to us. We've devised a way. We like our way. We think this is a good way. But it's death because it's not authored by God. It's not the way God said to live. It's so narrow. Oh, we seem to be singled out for being so narrow. And uh, they usually say legalistic. But, you know, in spite of all of that, you stay with the word. I don't care what people say. I don't care what they say. You care in the sense that you represent a church and you don't want to do something wrong that would get us all in a bad light. But I don't care what my critics say. All I need to know is what does the Bible say? Do I believe that? What does Scripture say? Am I convinced of it? Because if I'm convinced of it, let God be true. Every man a liar. There is a way that seems right. But there is only one way that is right. And one of the demands in the Scripture that Paul gave to Timothy was to labor in that doctrine. Teach it in season or out of season. They're going to leave you. They're going to join you. They're going to treat you bad. They're going to love you. But you preach the gospel. Seek not a praise from men. Just seek the kingdom of God first. Do that. And when something about this message, for a lot of people that didn't know this was going to come, they just jumped in because, man, I feel good. I'm going to heaven. Woo! And then they get settled down that day when God causes everything to settle. Remember those little things on the coffee table used to turn upside down? It'd be snow. Play like you know what I'm talking about in a little glass. And you set it back up and it kind of snows down. Life is like that. God turns you upside down. Everything is, <laughs> Then one day uh, all this is gone and you're sitting there and then it's down to learning and growing now. And you go, what? Does it say that? Oh, no, oh, man. Well, what am I going to do with that? That might cost me my job. Well, what would they think about the gob shop? Gob, good old boys. Where all the good old boys hang out? The gob hang out. What if I begin to live like that? What if I begin to talk like that? What would they think of me? Well, I bet... Old brother John wouldn't let me hunt on his land no more if I started talking like that. I couldn't fish in his pond. He'd think I'm a nut. Hey, I don't know if I'm willing to give up all of this. Tell me that doesn't happen. What would my parents think? They might leave me out of their big money. (laughs) Big money. What am I going to do? And that nature, that little rebel thing, you better deal with it. You better deal with it right away. That thing that wants to draw back and say, well, now, wait a minute. You better deal with it because you might find that thing's bigger than you are. It doesn't want anybody to tell it what to give up and how to live. It would rather do that itself. And that's the very nature of what governs that person. 
if I have to do this to walk with the Lord, I'm going to join the little church down the road where nobody walks like that, and they're all going to heaven. Good. If you can do that and have that conviction, go for it. But I think God has more to say than that. Do you think the people that have gone back, did they know the consequences of going back? What is the consequence of turning back? Are there consequences to starting and not finishing? Well, that depends on what church you go to. If you believe in eternal security the way some do, then there's nothing you can do. There's no way in the world you can leave off to go back. Because once you raised your hand, said yes to God, or nodded your head, or signed the card, you're in heaven. Doesn't matter how you live. And yet, the Lord says in Luke 9, 62, if a man puts his hand to the plow, that's this life. If a man puts his hand to the plow and looks back, what does it say? He's not fit for the kingdom of God. What about Hebrews chapter 10? It said that the, the just shall live by faith. You know that part about faith? But he said, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. How do you approach God and have him say, well done, if he has no pleasure in you? you got a life to live. God graciously brought you into it. He started you on the journey. You've got to live it. You've got decisions to make. This evidence is your salvation. Your calling and election is seen in the life you live. You're the real deal. And when you're confronted with hard decisions and things in your life that you didn't know you'd have to deal with because nobody ever taught you, and then you have to deal with it, you just deal with it. You don't dread next week's message. You don't dread having to make a quality decision. What you should dread is the consequences if you don't make quality decisions. I mean, it's something that is so real. It happens so much. I've had people look at me and stare at me and smile at me for years, and one day they're gone. It was gradual. You could see little indications along the way, so you preach about it. But they leave anyway. You tried. They leave anyway. You think, why? What was it about what God was saying that you didn't want to deal with? Or maybe you could say, well, it was what Hamilton said. He's not perfect either. But did he say what the Lord said? Well, if he said what the Lord said, the problem isn't with him. The problem's with God. There is something about all of us, like he said in that psalm, that wants to flatter itself. I'm okay. I'm okay. There's no problem here. I know I'm going to heaven and all of that. You don't want to be like those people who started and then went like a dog back to its vomit. Remember that? Ugh. That's a description the Bible gives us of what people do. When you turn from the truth to turn back to something that may have truth in it but is not fully the truth, it's like a hog to its mire. I can handle that better than a dog and its vomit. I've seen both. Ugh. But that's the way God describes it for us, the way he sees it. That's how despicable it really is.
And we see this happening and we think, why? Because eventually they go back to their old ways. They go back to their old companions. They go back to their old habits, their old lust. The things they once did that they were ashamed of once. They came to the Lord, they were ashamed of it. And just like Jesus in Vincent's word studies about John 6, 66, they went back to the very thing they once left in order to come to Christ. They went back to it. Same old movies, same old nasty words, same old hangouts, same old friends, same old corrupt speech. Nothing really has ever changed. Well, something had to change because we saw them come to the Lord. They cried and they squalled and they bawled. Yeah, they did. Because you can do that. You can do that and turn back. I've been here too long. I can't describe all the specific mechanical details of it. I've just seen it happen time after time after time, year after year, people after people. You hate it. You despise the fact that they would give up eternal life in order to have a, a piece of bread in this life. But it happens. It really does happen. I'm sorry that it does. And yet when you look at their lives when they're gone, now this may be a judgmental statement, but it seems to me they haven't found happiness. Whatever they were looking for, they didn't find. Because the same outlook they have now seems to be the same outlook they had years ago. They become negative, justifying their departures, flattering themselves. They say things like that. They have left off to be wise. They have left off to be wise and to do good. Now, the question we ask then in dealing with this is why? Can we point out any specific thing as to why this happens? What this little rebellious thing uses? I think so. Let me give you some reasons why what I just said for the last 32 minutes, why it happens. Number one, because in their beginning, it was a defective start. A defective start. Or a defective beginning. Are we told in the Bible to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith? Does that imply that there might be some who aren't? The Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Know ye not that Christ is in you except you fail the test? Those are my words. How that Christ is in you unless you fail the test? If Christ is in you, is there a way that you should know? If Christ is in you and he's in there to as Lord, is there not going to be evidence of his lordship in your life? We can't say, well, I'm, all these things that he wants us to do, I don't think I'm ready for, for that. Look, nobody's perfect. Nobody is ever going to be perfect. You think, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got a word for you. You won't like this one either. But Paul said, I want to present every man perfect at the end of Colossians chapter 1, that I may present every man perfect. In the Sermon on the Mount, the very last verse says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there is something that we need to deal with. And you begin to say, oh, that's impossible. Don't tell me that God lied to you either. 
God wouldn't give you something to do that you can't do. Wouldn't tell you a place to go that you can't go. Wouldn't give you a burden to, to carry that you can't carry. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't let you go through something you can't handle, that you can't overcome. Because he's in charge. He's faithful. You've got to resign yourself that God is altogether right and you're altogether wrong. And when I come to the Lord, there has to be this resignation, this yielding of myself to God. I can't see people's hearts. God can. I know what happened in my heart. I don't know what happened in anybody else's heart. So sometimes a lot of the sermon has to do with me and my, because that's the only thing I can reference to know exactly what happened. I know the day that I went forward in the Christian church in June the 30th, 19, that's it, 68. I know what was going on on the inside of me. I know what was prompting me to make a decision that I was about to make on my knees at the front of the church. I know what I was saying. I know what kind of a determination I had at that moment. I could hear myself referring to all those people that I've seen go forward my whole life, and none of them stayed put. They all quit, every one of them. And here I am going forward. And I'm telling myself, I'm not turning back. I am not doing it. That means that kind of determination. Many times I wanted to. There were times early on, boy, there were times I thought about it because things didn't go my way. My young little lip came up. It pooched itself out. A little sadness and sorrow began to embrace my feeble little mind. I began to have a little pity party for myself and nobody would come. I was all alone with poor little Tom. You poor soul. I might as well just quit and go back where I was because this doesn't work. That's exactly what's right. Just going back. And I get a phone call. A friend. The preacher. Called me a big baby. Uh, Jackie's jaw is what I thought about it, but you know, you big baby. Then the reality comes, you are a big baby. You're just a little whiny kid. You know that? You're just a little whiny little brat. And God ain't going to let you stay a brat. He's going to debrat you. That's not a word. The fellowship we had in those days was so precious. We got to talk about how we felt and realize that others felt the same way and what we're going to do and how we do it. It was strength in that. But I can remember when it started. I had, my intentions were all good. I intended to stay put. You see, there are many who make a confession of sin. Many who say, I want to follow the Lord, who don't. There are many who want a better life than what they're living. And that's why they come. There are many who want to join their mother and father in heaven when they die. That's why they come. There are many who smoke and drink. Marriage is falling apart. Life is falling apart. Health is falling apart. And they want to do better than this, so they come to the Lord because he's got all these promises. But they're all the wrong reasons for coming. That's not the way you start this life. 
You don't start this life to make an improvement on yourself. You start this life because you're a sinner. Your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and God. And you realize that you're a reprobate. An educated, ignorant reprobate. You think you know something, you know nothing. You think you can figure things out, you figure nothing out. You're lost in your sins. You cannot get away from the fact that God is right and you're wrong. You can't change God, He can change you. You realize these things. And if you don't, well, I'm coming to the Lord because I just want to live a better life. I'm, maybe I can quit drinking or quit smoking or quit watching movies or maybe I can quit this and oh, quit driving fast and scratching off and maybe I can just, I got I to gotta make some changes. People try to make those changes all the time. That's not why you come to the Lord. All of that may add up to the fact that you cannot do anything good very long with your life. Only God can change you. And the only way he's going to change you is if you come to him as a repentant sinner. And you can't even come to him unless he draws you. I believe a lot of people come because they feel bad. They feel bad about their life. They're your friends. They hang around you. They see your joy and your peace. They want what you have. They want to go to your church. They want to partake of your joy, so they make some kind of a, a move towards God. But they didn't give their heart to Jesus. They learned to sing our songs. They learned to raise their hands. Some of them went, yada, blah, blah, blah. They learned to do that. They learned when to say amen. They learned that we're supposed to do this and do this. They learn all of that. They get acclimated into that system. They just learn to do it. You know when to stand, you know when to sit, you know what the preacher's going to do. And before you go home, he's going to say, everybody stand your feet, tell somebody something, and you go home. You kind of get in a rut. It's a routine. And you leave off your convictions. Because the things you're hearing, you begin to say, well, maybe, maybe so. Maybe God meant that. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands. Well, well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, coming from you, I can understand why you'd say that, you old macho man. Wives, submit yourself to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Well, you try, you try to live with us if you could. You think that's an answer? When you're a Christian and you read that, you don't justify why you don't. You just recognize you got to do that. Okay. I haven't been a kind of a husband that she needed, and I'm going to have to do better now. Lord God, give me strength and grace and mercy. I need to learn to do that. Oh, man, it's hard. You know, husbands love your wives. You know, I married one that's easy to love. But... I was never one just loved easy. I love what I love. One of the things that love does is forgive or say, I'm sorry. How about that? You ever said, I'm sorry to your wife? Well, then you're the same boat I'm in then. <laughs> you ever take for granted your wife loves you? She's supposed to do what you tell her. 
<laughs> I don't mean it that way, but I mean, you ever felt like, you know, being a man in the church, now you're in the Bible, you're just, you know, she's supposed to just bow at your feet. You know, you're the big dog in the house now. And then one day you did something wrong, you hurt her feelings, you said something you shouldn't or acted a way you shouldn't have acted, and then God brings back what you've been taught. Those things that you hid in your heart because you said amen. You said amen when you're getting along good. You said amen when love is oozing out the mat. <laughs> like a amen, honey. Then one day it ain't so much honey in it. Not quite so honeyfied now. So it's a little bit on the tense side. And you said something. Well, you didn't care if she didn't take it right. Oh, go cry in a yard somewhere. Now, don't take me like that. And then God brings all those convictions back. What about that, Hamilton? Didn't you say amen when husband love your wife? Amen. Well, you don't seem like you're doing a very good job of it. Was that a conviction or not? Now, here's my little rebel pops up and says, well, not anybody can ever. But on the other side, God pops up and said, did you mean that or not? Was that in your heart or not? Yes? Well, then go tell her you're sorry. Prove it. Demonstrate it. I ain't going to tell her I'm sorry. I, mean, I started wearing dresses. I went and told her I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just telling you where I was. Well, I'd be a sissy if I had to tell my wife I'm sorry. But I finally did. I finally did. And this thing that was holding me down was lifted off. That wasn't easy to do. It really wasn't. You know, I had a school teacher once came to my class while I was teaching the class and wanted to just barge in and say, I need to talk to you for a minute. And I think, I got a class. I said, I walked out and he said, I want so-and-so to, and I said, no. The kid on my basketball team, he wanted him to go play golf or something. I said, no. And so he said something about Christianity. Oh, you, oh, I, oh that's right. You're, you're a big Christian now. Well, I didn't like this teacher. I wasn't saving about it, and I didn't like this teacher at all. A little mouthy fellow that, you know, always just yakking. And so I said something to him that, no bad word, I just said, why don't you get out of here and go back to your class? Or something like that, maybe a little more forceful. Because I really didn't care what he thought, and I'm a Christian. And through the rest of the school day, all I could feel was conviction. <laughs> you go tell him you're sorry. Him? No. Where's your convictions at Hamilton? Are you going to follow me or not? Or are you going to rise up and say, well, he needs it. Oh, you know. So sure enough, class was over. I'm, I made a decision. School was out. I'm down to the gymnasium waiting for everybody to leave the school so I can start basketball practice. And I'm sitting there in my... Basketball wore coaching clothes, and uh, here's my assistant coach. Another teacher comes by, and here comes this guy in front of these other teachers. And the Lord said, tell him now. His name was Revel. His Revel. I could call him Rebel. Rebel came up, and I said, hey, uh, oh, gosh. I said, I, uh, I'm sorry about what I said today in class. He said, oh. 
your Christian convictions bothering you now or something? Boy, I didn't like it. It's all about God changing. See, not everybody is willing to yield to stuff like that. And I said it. And the other guy turned around and kind of grinned, and he started making fun of it. Billy Graham got bothered by stuff he said, you know. Walking to teacher's lounge, hey, here come Billy Graham. I'm just saying that when God teaches you things, you're a new creature in Christ. You came to him. If it wasn't defective, you have a heart to learn and to stay put. You dread nothing God says. And if God says this is the way walking in it, you walk that way. If he says you got to do this, then you do that. And you don't go, oh, I don't, uh, what do you think about that, Josephine? How about you, Mabel? What about you, Bill? Oh, well, we have to do that, man, every week and we got to do something new. There's been a flaw in your beginning. Something wants to hold you back from going all the way. I call it a rebel. There's a little weasel living inside of your heart that wants to keep you back and make you your own man. You don't want to yield your life to God. You don't want to yield your will and your whole right to your life to God. You don't want that Luke 14 verse, you know, if any man come to me and hate not his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. You don't want that to be that. You look for a commentator who is liberal who will explain that away for you so you can feel good because you're a rebel. It's in there. And it's got to die. And when you come to Christ, that thing must go. And you don't even know if it's gone until you start living this life, listening to the word, and see what your inward response is to it. So when you want to quit and give up, I think there was a defective flaw at the beginning of your life. You've had some form of godliness. You've got this far with being this or being that. But there comes a day in which you don't deal with it anymore. There's something wrong. I believe this. I believe if any man or woman is born again, anybody, Whoever God chooses to do this to, and he does it. If you've been born again, you're a new creature. You're not perfect yet. But there's something in you that is perfect. And it'll never lead you in a wrong way. It'll never give you something to live or to do that's wrong. It'll never open up the scriptures to you in such a way that its, it's intention is to slaughter you and kill you. But it's to refine you and prepare you for heaven. And when you're born again, you, you desire that. You grieve over your sins. You hate your sins. We talked about that the other day. My biggest enemy in life is sin. It forever lies at my door. Genesis 4-7. It's desires for me. But the Bible said I should rule it. I should. And if my beginning was right and God gave to me a heart that is born anew. I'm not somebody that was just durable and learned the mechanics of Christianity and that made it suit my way of life. I'm not one of them. But one of those, what do they call them, right-wing conservative Christians, whatever that is, somebody that just says, let God be true and every man a liar. 
for too many people, folks, their Christianity was just nominal. They were just nominal Christians. That means name only. As Paul said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. We knew that. We could tell the way they lived, the choices they were making while they were amongst us, that they weren't of us. They liked what we did. They liked our prayers, but they weren't willing to live the way they were taught. When Paul said to Timothy, labor in the word and doctrine and teach, he said in 1 Timothy 4, I'll just give it to you again, the last verses of 1 Timothy 4, he said, if you will do this, if you labor in the word and you'll keep yourself clean, you not only will ensure salvation for yourself, but for all those that hear you. Everybody's heard. Some continue to hear. Some come to hear. But some, when they hear, they leave. And the decision is yours, whether it's coming or leaving. It's a choice you make. If your beginning was legitimate, you really were born again. The Word of God ain't going to drive you away. The Word of God is going to drive you to God. You're not looking for some excuse to make as to why you're not doing well. You don't do that no more. Because God alone is right. You can't say, well, he said that, but that makes him a liar. You just come to the place where when he says you're a sinner, you bow your head. You come to the place where you're trying to live this life and you're getting tired or weary. You say, I'm getting tired and weary. It's my fault. I'm sinning. I ask God to forgive me. You get restored. Because it's in your heart. That's what God birthed in you. Loyalty to him. The honor of his life in your life. It's in there. Even though you violate it on occasion. But First John says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If you confess your sin, he'll forgive you of your sin. Your sin ought to bother you. That make it confess it as a sin. Instead of justifying, well, nobody's perfect. Instead of saying that, you confess it as sin. Because what was birthed in you when you were born again is like that. It never leaves you alone. It is always dealing with you so that when God gets through with you, you'll be, well, like Jesus. To be like Jesus, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To be like him in all things. The example that we have on how we should live and walk is Christ. And when you're born again, not only are you a new creature in Christ, but the very life you're following is the life that is in you. The very one that Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take things of mine and will show them unto you. That's what brings conviction. That's what makes you go, whoa. But you do it. That's why you forgive each other. That's why you quit arguing and fussing and being critical and, and everything else that's wrong because the Word of God is like, like a sword in your heart. It divides asunder between what is spirit and what is flesh and what is right and what is wrong, what is good and bad and up and down. It's, a, it's the legal voice in your heart. It's the judge of all your actions and your decisions. This is what happens when you're born again. You've got this. As you grow in the Lord, this gets bigger and greater. 
until it's no longer you that live, but it's Christ who lives in you. It's Christianity. And in order for you to stay put, there has to be something in you that will never give up. Never. You may fall and fail. I do believe that people have backslidden to come back to the Lord. But I do believe when you make a decision to turn away from the Lord and forsake the Lord, you've left off from doing good. I think it's because something inside of you no longer has that power that it once had. Because something else is ruling in there besides that. Second thing. I won't get finished, but let me introduce it. Not only do people leave off from doing good and turning to or following the Lord because of a defective beginning, but secondly, people leave off from the Lord to do good because of the neglect of personal and corporate devotions. Because of personal and corporate or church gathering, fellowship. Devotions. There's two things here. Let me introduce them to you, and then we'll come back next week and we'll get them. Or we go get a drink and come back and do it today. Two things I must realize in my life as a Christian that are needs in my life. One, I need to spend time with the Lord. I must never take for granted that my two visits a week to the house of God is sufficient for the rest of the week. God is bigger than two days a week. He is an everyday with you, God. I need this personal time with the Lord. There needs to be a regular time. With The best time i found is in the morning. Well, you read. Just read your Bible. It's amazing. I've just about finished reading the whole Bible. Just by sitting down every morning at breakfast and reading three or four chapters. And pretty soon, and this is the truth, I'm not making it up, there comes times when you're looking forward to eating breakfast so you can read the Bible. It becomes a natural thing. You fed on it, and now you're getting a desire to do it. I enjoy it. Right now I'm going through Exodus. What a book. I thought I'd read it before. Wow. But there's new things are showing up all the time, popping up. And I'm thinking, whoa. But this is how God speaks to us. You're reading a book in the Old Testament about laws, legal things. If you're ox goer somebody and you did, and, and this is what you do, and you think, how could you get anything out of that? It's amazing how you're reading something like that. Somebody's personal need will pop up. So you stop reading for a moment and you pray. Some of you. You get prayed for. At the breakfast table, read Exodus. It's a time you spend with God where he can direct your thoughts and direct your prayers and open your heart and your eyes. It's a personal need. Hopefully every day, somewhere during the day, you do a little praying or a lot of praying or you read or you ponder, meditate, we call it, Psalms 1. It's a time of reflection and probably one of the biggest things we should do that we don't always do or maybe we do and don't realize it is think. Doesn't the Bible say think on these things? There are things that God shows you in the Bible. You think on those things. I mean, I know you're busy with your work and you think about that and you're thinking about finances or maybe politics or maybe 
company coming and you think on a lot of things and you think on some of these things sometimes where they can almost overwhelm you without realizing that there are things you can think about that conquer those things. Where you can put those things in their place. You get a bad report. Somebody said, well, you're going to be sued. The lawyer has this paper written out. I, I don't care what the paper says. Paper, smaper, diddly old waper, T-legged, tie-legged, bow-legged paper. What does God say about it? What does God say? Does God say he will deliver you? Fine. You can get mired down and stuff if you want to. Everybody would think well of you. Or you can look whatever your problem is right in the face and say this, I defy your rights to rule me or to control me. Not that I'm a rebel, but the Lord in me is greater than you and is against you. If the Lord is on my side, I am more than a conqueror, and I'm a majority here. And I refuse to give up a day of my life to grieve over something that I can conquer. In Jesus' name, I make a choice here. I'm going to do well. I'm going to do my best. I can't deny the hurt and the pain that that you're overcoming. I can't deny that. But I can deal with it. I can deal with it. I can deal with it. And the reason we do that successfully, if we do, is because I suspect things that we have heard teachings we have had, studies, when whatever, these things are beginning to embed themselves in us. And when a problem comes up, these are the things the Holy Spirit brings to your attention as a sword that you're going to fight this with, the sword of the Spirit. This is what he said. So you begin to deal with it. You begin to quote the Bible. You look at these things, you say, thus saith the Lord. Didn't Jesus quote the Bible? He sure did. He said when he was tempted three times, he quoted scripture three times. He didn't care what the devil said, what the devil offered, or what the devil's bleak outlook was. He quoted the Bible to him. God gave you the same book, prompted by the same spirit to do the same thing. We're more than conquerors. So you see, I need this personal time with the Lord. And I'm going to begin here next week, right here. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your power. Your power to the church. For your authority that you've given to us as Christians, we thank you for it. I ask you, Lord, to empower everybody here in this room to stand fast, to hold fast, to not draw back, to endure to the very end. And find us here and you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I ask you to bless us with strength like that to stand the test, to overcome, to keep our hands on the plow. To give up for nobody, for no reason, but to hold fast. 
I ask you to do all of this today in Jesus' name. Amen.